I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to Jimmy Black from Bowling Green, Kentucky. He and his wife Catherine planted a church in Bowling Green that started with 12 people and more than doubled in 14 months. In this episode, Jimmy talks about how he left his engineering job with Hitachi to plant a new church, how he tackled a mountain of school loans to be able to pursue his ministry dreams. He shares about one question he uses to strengthen disciples who've been weakened by the pandemic, how one member's challenge to, quote-unquote, stop waiting and start being faithful spurred growth in his church this year. He talks about his goal that everyone in his church is in a Bible study and how he managed to get a church of 25 members to have 26 active Bible studies. He talks about how being faithful is more important than being successful. And finally, one secret he learned from Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Really grateful to be here. I was talking to Kurt Flinchbaugh, and uh, after talking to Kurt, he said, you really need to talk to Jimmy Black, and he's done a great job in Bowling Green, Kentucky and has planted a church there, and the church has doubled in the first year. And I was like, okay, I would definitely want to talk talk to you. And um, thank you. I, you mentioned in the pre-interview that you had gone to the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference. How'd you enjoy that? It was special. It was really, really special. We actually had an angel donor sponsor us to be able to go, and uh, we, we couldn't have uh, imagined how beneficial it would have been for our faith and also for the faith of a lot of our peers. It was a special conference and a special time together. That's awesome. So glad, so glad you came. That was so much fun. I mean, just both days, it was, it was really fantastic. So let me ask you this. How'd you become a Christian? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I grew up in an amazing home. Um, parents loved me, but, uh, everybody claimed to be Christian in my immediate family, extended family, really nobody, nobody followed Jesus. And we idolized our version of what a good person was. We had a pretty pretty jacked up moral compass. There's some things that we viewed as, oh, that's okay. It's not that bad. And other things that were uh, hideous. And so because of that, I really never wanted God. I was probably 15 years old when I realized I wasn't a Christian. Um, I didn't care. I, the, the day I realized I wasn't a Christian, I went out and I stole 50 pumpkins that night for a, a big uh, party that our, our juniors and seniors in our high school would host every year. And, um, but I was really fortunate, Rob, because my best friend growing up, his parents were disciples in our fellowship of churches. And I, I would spend the night at his house a couple of times a month. And I'd always see his parents reading their Bible and his dad had an enormous impact on me, but I was, I was kind of the friend that you didn't want your <laughs> your child hanging out with, and but but they loved me relentlessly. And that that friend, his name's Brody Snell. He actually leads the the campus ministry up at Ohio State. Okay, okay. So that related to Kim and yes, and Rusty Snell. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 That's their kid. Yep. Okay, just had them on the program a few, a few episodes back. All right. Okay. This is yeah. interesting. So R- Rusty had a huge impact. On my life, uh, Rusty. Uh, I don't know if he remembers. He t- he had like a sex talk with me when I was sixteen. <laughs> not 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 like what sex is, but uh, yeah, kind of the spiritual implications of it. And um, yeah, they they had a, just a huge impact on my life. And they were super have, gracious. That must have been really awkward. Have your friends yeah. dad give you a little sex talk? Yeah. Well, he was he was a cool guy. It was yeah. uh somehow it wasn't too awkward. He's definitely but, a cool uh, guy. He is. He is. He is. But me, me, so me and Brody, uh, we were basically sin buddies. He, he wasn't a disciple. 
Um, we actually studied the Bible together as teenagers with Sonny Ryan, okay. who, who's out in out in Colorado now. We were up in Cleveland at the time, Cleveland, Ohio. Well, Brody and I, we we ended up going to the University of Kentucky together. Went there for every wrong reason possible. Wanted to chase girls. Wanted to get away from home, and um, kind of further down on our on both of our lists was it had engineering. He was a civil engineer. I studied mechanical engineering, and our sophomore year, Brody, he kind of got sick of, of the life we were living. He got sick of chasing girls, sick of the emptiness of alcohol. Um, he just felt empty. And he reached out to um, two brothers in the Lexington church, names are Greg Campbell and TJ Clark, and asked them if they'd start studying the Bible with them. He started studying the Bible, fell in love with Jesus. Um we, this was actually really cool, Rob. We, we had all won tickets to go to the final four NCAA March Madness tournament down in Houston that year. And uh, Brody was supposed to get baptized that weekend. He actually gave his ticket away. Um, and, and he said, I'm not going. Um, he knew we were going to go down there and party, but he, he really wanted to get baptized. And I had a ton of respect for Brody because so many of my introductions to Christianity were, were flooded with hypocrisy. And uh, we, we had a roommate that tried to get us to go to church with him all the time. And he would sleep with his girlfriend. And we're like, dude, what? there's nothing different about your life. How are right. you different? Right. But uh, Brody, because I knew who he was before he was a Christian, it actually had probably a bigger impact on me because I saw the gospel. I saw the power of the gospel. Hmm. And I thought he was weird. Don't get me wrong. Like him and his girlfriend, they, they weren't kissing. Uh, he wouldn't cuss. He, he wouldn't come out and party with us. And I made fun of him a lot, <laughs> but I respected him a ton. And so he started trying to get me to come out to church. I wasn't having it. His girlfriend started studying the Bible with my girlfriend. And um, she, she tried to make changes in our relationship. Um, they'd last a, a little bit, but um eventually one summer and i'm i'm really grateful for the the men that god's put in my life brody he, he read me the scripture about the millstone and he said dude if, if you keep doing this this is what god wants with you he's mm-hmm. going to tie a millstone around your neck he's just going to say I'm, I'm done with you and because I, I was dragging my girlfriend down right and i cussed him up and down on the phone um if we were if we were face to face we, we would have fought i was a bit of a brawler before I was a Christian and um, but, but again, I respected him. Like I, I hated it. I hated what he did, but I respected him. Mm-hmm. And some things happened in my life. Um, I was unfaithful to that girlfriend and uh, I ended up reaching out to him and say, Hey, can you study the Bible with me? And him and Sean Kirkland, who was the minister in Lexington, they loved me relentlessly for the next year and a half, Rob. I was arrogant as I'll get out. I liked my sin. I didn't think I needed God. I, I believed in God. Um, but God used them to soften my heart, to be patient with me. And so it was actually a month before I graduated college that I was baptized into Christ and wow. fell in love with Jesus. Jimmy, how did you and Catherine meet? We were actually set up on a blind date out in... Hampton Roads on something called Beach Stock. It would have been 2015. And um, yeah, the, the date was amazing. I saw how much she loved God, how much she loved people. She'd been refined by the fire uh, quite a bit. She grew up in our fellowship at churches, uh, turned her back on God, uh, walked away from the church when she was 18 and went through some hard stuff and, and had gotten baptized probably four or five months before we had met. And in all transparency, I, I think I fell in love on the first date. And uh, I, I don't think she was quite there. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we went on a date and um, started talking uh, probably once every couple of weeks. And a few months later, we, we started dating long distance. And um, yeah, I couldn't imagine... Uh, anybody else. Uh, she, she really does make me holy and she also makes me happy too. So what did you guys talk about ministry at that time? Was it, did you guys have a different plan or what, what was, what were your, what was your thinking? 
We did. Uh, I, I shared with her, my dream at the time was actually to go uh, lead the campus ministry at Ohio State because uh, I was a big Ohio State fan and my sister was uh, living close to there. Um, and so I told her that that was my dream. And her dream was actually to work full time for Hope at the time. And um, but she, she was on an internship with the Hampton Roads Campus Ministry. And um, we, we talked a lot about the ministry. And I think what I found so attractive about her was the way that she loved people. Uh, she was studying the Bible at the time with um, one of her old roommates who was a Miss Virginia Beach. And she loves the, this, this young girl relentlessly. And she had some tough conversations. Um, she, she had studied the Bible and, and helped baptize um, uh, another girl that, that I, I th- think she went to school with, or I can't remember how she knew her, but I was just inspired by the way that she loved people. And, and she, wasn't, she wasn't afraid to be hurt by people either right, in the way that she loved them. Mm. What were you doing prior to living in Bowling Green? What, tell me about from your graduation and your marriage until now, what have you been doing? Yeah. So prior to Bowling Green, I, I graduated. I actually worked as an engineer uh, for a company called Hitachi Automotive. Uh, Hitachi's kind of Fortune 500 and they have an automotive division. And I did engineering for probably a year with them. And then the next three years, I did project management and program management. Um, so I, I got to travel a decent amount. Went over to Japan a couple of times for work. Um Traveled a decent amount to Georgia uh, a handful of times, um, also up to Minnesota. And so I, I enjoyed uh, my time at Hitachi quite a bit. And then my wife was in mortgage and banking. She worked for a company called Mo- Movement Mortgage uh, for a period of time. And then she worked for a bank in Kentucky called Central Bank. And uh, we, we did that. Um, well, I guess she only did it for a couple of years in Lexington, Um but I, I did it for about four, but all that while we, we were serving in a decent capacity in the church. And we both, I guess I should have said this when I got baptized, I, I always wanted to be in a full-time ministry, um, but I had $160,000 worth of student loan debt when wow. I graduated um, college. And it was all my fault. I just took out the max student loan I could and blew it on who knows what at this point. And um but yeah, when, when we were working our jobs, we helped a lot with the campus ministry. Um, I actually started a Bible talk at my job at Hitachi, and uh, my boss was a part of it. My boss's boss was a part of it, uh, a, a couple other peers, and, and I actually pulled in another disciple uh, that was a part of it. And we studied out um, the master plan of evangelism. Right, that was, that that's what the, the Bible talk was about. That's great. Okay, so you, what year did you graduate from Kentucky? 2014. 2014 you have hundred and sixty thousand dollars in debt okay what but you wanted to go in the ministry okay this is yep. a this is a common issue these days what was your mindset what, like you, you go I want to go in the ministry there's no way you can go in the ministry with hundred and sixty thousand dollars in debt what was your plan um, at first I didn't have a plan and I was frustrated uh, by my minister because he kept telling me no I shouldn't go in the ministry um, and it actually caused a bit of a rift, uh, primarily because I didn't want to take ownership of my debt. Um, but I, I again, I, I was just really fortunate with the people that were in my life because I was making, I was making way more than I realized I was making, uh, especially now uh, being in the ministry. I was like, man, I did make a decent amount of money. And um, but my wife and I, we, we buckled down. We, we paid off about eighty thousand uh, th- those four years, and so we we still had a decent amount of money. We went into the ministry, uh, but it was it was much more manageable. Um, but the, honestly, the hardest thing for us, Rob, was just having to face the music. Hmm. Like the first year and a half, I knew I had a lot of student debt. I was semi-aggressive paying it off, but I wasn't really willing to own it. And I applied to a couple of ministry jobs. I tried to go to a couple, be a campus minister in a few different places and when we got to the finances, I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Right. I just, mm-hmm. I had too much. And, and I, and I couldn't benefit from some of the re, the income contingent repayment plans because the vast majority of my student loans were parent plus loans. Okay. So they're actually loans that are in my father's name. 
And so it was based on his income. So I, I wasn't getting any break because of I, I, even if I had a smaller income, I, I couldn't get a break. And so I just had to buckle down and be gritty and learn to say no, uh, which I wasn't good at. And uh, <laughs> what, So what advice uh, would you give to a person who has spiritual ambitions, maybe wants to go in the professional ministry, but is saddled with a you know heavy duty debt burden? So that's a great question. And I actually feel really passionate about what I'm about to say. I think the greatest training I got for the full-time ministry was my job at Hitachi because I learned how the vast majority of disciples have to live. Like campus ministry, it's just not reality, right? There's something really special about it, but you can't live that lifestyle forever. And it was easy for me to be critical of older members in, in the congregation in Lexington. But once I started working that job, I was like, hold on, like, this is hard for me and I don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so one, it, it helped me, it helped me learn how to relate. But two, it, I, the thing that I, I really do cherish about my time at Hitachi is I had to learn to own my faith. There's nobody that was going to ask me about, uh, there's nobody that was there to hold me accountable about my language. Um, There's nobody there to hold me accountable about about my courage or my purity. I remember there's plenty of times where I got made fun of at work because they found out, one, I wasn't having sex, but two, once they found out I didn't kiss my girlfriend, they they thought a whole bunch of weird stuff about me. Uh, Or maybe I didn't go to the strip club with the guys. and, And so- I just, my time at Hitachi, I had to own my faith. Hmm. And it was up to me if I was going to share my faith. It was up to me if I was going to stand up for Jesus. It was up to me if I was going to love my coworker who was an alcoholic. It was up to me if I was, was going to turn around and, and tell the customer that I just actually lied to him about a deadline that right. I'm actually not going to hit. And, and so my time at Hitachi, I think, was invaluable for not just my time in the ministry, but my time planning a church. Right. Because I don't have the privilege to have somebody kind of over me, holding me accountable, mm-hmm. um, seeing me intimately in, in that way. It's mm-hmm. up to me. Mm-hmm. It's do I love Jesus enough to, to be faithful to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as much as it was difficult at times, I, I'm really grateful for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the, the follower of Jesus that I am today with, without that time. Yeah. I remember coming and planning the church in Tucson in 2012 after working full-time for eight years selling real estate while I planted a church in my hometown. And there was a huge, I mean, huge benefit from from working in the secular world. Uh, absolutely what you're saying, just the ability to relate to what the majority of, of members are going through. But also just the incredible blessing of being in the full-time ministry and the, the control over the time. Mm. And I, I think that was just huge, just realizing, okay, I can use my time to advance the kingdom of God full-time. And I didn't have that before, but it really teaches you when you have a secular job to manage your time, to yep. prioritize, to realize, okay, this can't do this, you know, and it, it sharpens you up, that's, that's for sure. So yeah. you went into the ministry after four years. So 2018, you decided to go into the ministry. Is that when you went to Bowling Green? Yeah, it is. Okay. We, we went to Louisville for a handful of months to be trained uh, for probably three or four months and to recruit, but but really our first bow to the ministry. Okay, so ministry why, why a mission team to Bowling Green, Kentucky? And can you, I mean, that's the funniest name. For you know, for our listeners, you know, overseas, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Even being an American, I go, I I recognize the name from the NCAA basketball tournament. I know they usually have good basketball teams, but what what is that, and where is it? Yeah. Uh, so for one, the basketball team that you're thinking of isn't even in Kentucky. Uh, that's up in Ohio. That's Bowling Green State University. That's actually where uh, Kim and Rusty Snell are. Oh my gosh! Um, okay, that just yeah. shows you how messed up I am. Yeah, I know. But uh, we we do have a really good basketball program. It's called Western Kentucky University. But um, <laughs> no, so when when I first, so we, my wife and I, we we wanted to be in the ministry from the get go. But 
we were so, we struggled so much, maybe not so much her, a lot more me with selfish ambition when it came to the ministry. Right. And so we got to a place where we said, Hey, we're going to stop pursuing it and we're going to stop applying for things. And if God wants us to go into the ministry, he's going to send us through Sean Kirkland. Sean Kirkland is like a second dad to me. Uh, amazing in my life, knows me intimately, knows my marriage intimately, knows my strengths, my weaknesses in, intimately. And, and I just, I trusted him. I, I feel like he, he's my Jonathan. I'm his armor bearer. Uh, he goes to hill country. He says, jump, I jump. I just trust him a lot. And so we got to a place where we said, hey, we're not going to pursue it anymore. If God wants us to go into the full-time ministry, he'll send us through Sean and, and Mindy Kirkland. And when we first heard of Bowling Green, I said, where's Bowling Green? Right. And, and I had lived in the state probably six or seven uh, years at that point. And Bowling Green, we're, we're actually really close to Nashville. We're about an hour outside of Nashville. We're right on the border of Kentucky and, and Tennessee. And in many ways, Rob, I Bowling Green to me felt like in, in Acts 1-8, when right after Peter, or uh, not Peter, um, Stephen's killed, and it says that the disciples were scattered into Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth, it felt a little bit like Samaria to me because there's nothing that drew me there. Mm. It was further away from her family. It was further away from my family. Um, I I was young. I thought I wanted like big city, right? Um, we, we, we talked a lot. There, there was nothing sexy that drew us to Bowling Green. Um, but we were so passionate about advancing the kingdom of God. And so when they approached us and, and it was actually the weekend I got engaged that, uh, Sean said, Hey, would you consider it? And then he asked me not to tell Catherine about it until after we were married. That was pretty hard. I actually told her that the first day of our honeymoon, that, uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> surprise. <surprised. Yeah. laughs> um, but, uh, it wasn't necessarily the city that we were excited about. We were excited to live out the book of Acts. Right. Like, man, we get to go somewhere. We get to start a church and, and we get to build simply on Jesus. Hmm. And, um, but little did we know we, we'd fall in love with the city. Hmm. Like we, we, we just bought our first home here. Um, we had tornadoes rip, rip through and devastate our city. Uh, back in December and, and uh, it went through Bowling Green and Mayfield, Kentucky. Um, and the community here is amazing. The, the people really are. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we wanted to come down here because we wanted to live out the Bible. We, we wanted to follow Jesus. Um, but God has blessed it and allowed us to fall in love with the place that we live as well. Okay. So that was 2018. I heard through Kurt that you started with 12 members on your mission team. And yeah. It was that, 12 or 13. I can't remember. Okay. Just, just walk me through here. The first three, three or four years that you've been there. Tell me about that first year. How'd you form the team and what kind of growth did you see? Actually forming a team was really discouraging, Rob. So we, the best practice in, at least in the ACR is 20 members, a weekly giving, uh, an average weekly giving of of a thousand dollars a week, that's a good that's a good starting point, right? You don't want to be below it. And when we were recruiting, it was supposed to be primarily a Kentucky planting, right? Um, basically Louisville and Lexington, and we just had a hard time recruiting. Probably we weren't good at recruiting. It probably played a big factor into it. Uh, but there's twelve or thirteen of us. Our, our weekly giving was six hundred and sixty dollars. Um, we were just way behind the eight ball. And so the start of it was really discouraging. I remember uh, we, we were recruiting at uh, a major city that we expected to get kind of three or four people from. And we had one person come to the interest meeting. Oh my God. And, and in all honesty, we didn't even know if the person was a disciple. <laughs> yeah. Oh my and, gosh. And, and, uh, and, and I, I remember crying. I was like, man, are we even supposed to do this? Right. Um, cause at that point we were getting pretty close to the deadline and, um, but, but luckily I, I, I had people in my life that encouraged us and, uh, breathed faith into us. And so we moved down August of 2018 with 13 of us. There was 
probably half of us were from Kentucky. The other half of us were from Virginia and God knew Rob exactly what he was doing with the people that he sent. Um, there's, there's just a, a couple mature families, the Robinsons, the Finches, the Torrances that were just pillars and they had deep faith. Uh, they, they were incredible sports to my wife and I, and then we had young people that weren't afraid to make mistakes. Um, and so we came down, there's 13 of us, uh, first year and a half, it was amazing. Uh, but as I think it was, um, Forrest, Forrest, he, he used to say this thing. He said, planning a church is all guts and no glory. Like the, the only glory is when you stand on the stage and everybody sends you off. But once they send you off, it's just a bunch of guts. That's true. And, Forrest, and it was. Forrest Purcell said that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the first year, year it was like 14 months. Uh, we, we saw a lot of people get baptized, uh, but we also went through a lot of hard times. Um, we had some guy threaten to sue us. And he accused us of, of mind controlling his wife who, oh who'd gotten gosh. baptized. Um, uh, we, we, we saw actually that the captain of the WKU track team got baptized and, and so did two of his, his teammates. Um, but uh, one of the guys got into a bunch of sin and rather than choosing to repent, they, they ended up walking away and going to church that kind of would let them live in sin. And, mm-hmm. and that was hard. And because uh, the one guy we were kind of hoping would be our campus minister. And, um, and so I'm, I'm saying all that. It, it sounds really cool, right? That, that we, we did. We, we went from 13 or 12 or 13. I think we ended after 14 months, we were at 27 or 28. Wow. And, and it was really special. And there was amazing things that happened, but it wasn't without a lot of heartbreak. And, and what I, I cherish about that time, because I told you I wanted to go live out the book of Acts. Right. And, but when I think of the book of Acts, I think Paul planning churches, doing amazing things. And uh, the, the church leader in Louisville, Brian Perkins, he said, yeah, but, but how many times was Paul rejected? Mm-hmm. How many times was Paul stoned? How many times was he thrown out? How many times right. did people not respond? Right. And, and I remember being so, it was something weird happened. Where it was almost like, I was almost like more excited about the scars that we had gained than just the growth. And, uh, and so, yeah, God blessed it. Um, we had some amazing people, Sean, Sean and Barb Finch. Uh, they've, they've been disciples for 30 years. They had made our life so easy. The way they support us, the way they encourage us, the way they trust us. Um, and it's not like we knew what we were doing, right? We, mm. we'd never let a, a church, never let a campus ministry. I mean, what was, what was your strategy? I mean, what did you, did you go to the campus? Like, did you reach out in the, the community? Like what, what were you doing? What was your plan that first year? Uh, so we spent a decent amount of time on campus. Um, and uh, we, we did have a handful of baptisms in the campus ministry. Um, but uh, our church, Rob, our church is really good at loving people. Mm-hmm. And um, we, it seemed like we just constantly had, you know, sometimes in the ministry, you can, you have like really, really warm seasons and then maybe a dry season. Right. It just felt like, it felt like we were just constantly having people in the next position. Like there's people that are close to be baptized, right. but then there's also this good crop of people that, they'd already become part of our family and they weren't close to getting baptized yet. They weren't close to becoming Christians, but they already part of our family. And then we, we had a good crop of just new faces Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we, uh, we did a decent amount of kind of going in the neighborhood, going to the mall, going to the park, kind of quote unquote, cold contact sharing our faith. And and it was, it was beneficial. It it absolutely was. Um, But it's equally beneficial kind of, building relationships and, and almost like gaining the approval of our community. Right. Like, oh, these people are normal. They, how they, how they big do. is Bowling Green? Metropolitan is 180,000. Okay. So the county um, area is about 180. Yep. Okay. 
So what have you what have you done during COVID? You, you were there about a year and a half before COVID hit, and then yes. you 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 got up close to thirty disciples. What'd you do? What was what was your strategy? What's been your strategy over the past couple of years during the pandemic? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, in all transparency, we, we did shrink during COVID, and so it's not like we, we had an amazing couple of years in COVID. And it's because our, our biggest strength was family. Our biggest weakness was technology. Family gets taken away. Uh, technology gets heightened, and, and we struggled. Yeah, and. Um, but I think the thing that's been the most beneficial for us, Rob, and what I'm about to say, it might be even a bit controversial, is we had the mentality that we should be the most aggressive with our faith when it comes to COVID. I shouldn't be the most aggressive with my job. I shouldn't be the most aggressive about my, my kids' sports programs. I shouldn't be the most aggressive even about uh, my, my own workout regimen, right. I, I, I've got to be the most aggressive about my faith. And I forget who, who gave us this advice, but the, the question that not, not just myself, but, but everybody was kind of asking each other was, hey, help me understand. And what I mean by that is, uh, let's say a brother noticed that another brother, he was missing Bible talk or uh, he, he was making, it seemed, it seemed like his, from his perspective, he was making excuses about, about coming back to church, but he noticed that he was posting pictures mm-hmm. in the gym, mm-hmm. boxing, lifting, right. Right. whatever. Right. We, we, we want to be empathetic and be like, man, we're in a pandemic. We've got to give each other grace. Right. Obviously nobody knows what they're doing, right. but if I see something that doesn't make sense, right. I just want to ask the question, okay. I see this, so help me understand. Exactly. I mean, it's crazy. You'll see people on social media, disciples <clears throat> going to amusement parks or, or whatever, right. and then not not coming to church or to midweek. And it's like, okay, this this seems odd to me. Right. And But what I love about the question is the question, it, it forces them to kind of face it. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's not accusatory. We, we want to be gracious. We do recognize it's a global pandemic, but yeah. And, and so now it probably helps us being in the South, right. And, and the way politics influence all this and, and maybe the, the perception of COVID right. in, in Bowling Green compared to maybe a city that, that tends to be more blue. And so we, we do benefit from that a bit. Um, but I, I do think that question's helped us a lot. That's a great question. That's a, that's a yeah. good takeaway right there. Help me understand. It really yeah. does put the ball in their court to explain what's, what's your spiritual rationale for what you're doing. Right. And help me out here. Give, give right. me, give me an explanation that makes sense. The area you, you live in is definitely in the Bible belt, very religious historically. I, I don't know what it is you know, in actuality, but what have you done that's helped you to your small church? I mean, kind of a no-name church, tiny. How do you reach out in that area and and gain credibility so people don't think you're just some fly-by-night organization? What's what have you done? It's a great great question. Um, one of the things that, that maybe God's done and blessed us with here recently is about a year ago, we were able to sign a lease on a building on, on one of the major roads in town. Um, that, that's, that's kind of, it's made us less transient. And the lease, it's not expensive. It's, we're paying an extra three or $400 a month compared to meeting in the convention center like we were. But it, when we were meeting in the convention center, the, the answers we'd get a lot of times, well, why'd you come here? Mm-hmm. Um, why'd you plant a church here? Why a convention center? And, and I, I forget um, that it is weird for people, especially mm-hmm. people that grew up going to a building right. and that's what they're so used to. And, and not only are we in the Bible belt, but there's a huge um, restoration move movement. That's right. Churches in our area, okay. whether it be churches of Christ or independent Christian churches. Mm-hmm. And so having a building, it's just given us a face. Okay. And, but 
we didn't break the bank by any means for the building. We, we prayed a ton about it. God gave us kind of this, this amazing location. Landlord worked with us a lot to be able to move in, give us a bunch of months free on rent so we could make it our own and then even kind of brand the building a bit. But we, we've had a decent amount of people walk in from the sign, decent people walk in from our, our banner that, that gets changed changed out. But it's it's made, I think it's helped the community feel like, oh no, this is their home. Right, it's legit. Not, right. Yeah, they're not just a bunch of transplants that are right. coming here to to so, save us. So is it a strip mall or is it a church building? What what kind of a building is it? It's, a, it's actually a standalone building. It was originally a paint store. Uh, a company called like Porter Paint was originally in there, but we were really fortunate because right before us, there was what they called a pod school that had taken over the building and renovated it. It was basically a homeschool system I see. that only lasted a few months. So they, they had gutted it. They had turned the back warehouse into a gymnasium. The, the front area was their classroom and they, they had a few auxiliary rooms in the middle. And so we didn't have to do anything structurally to the building once we moved in. We just had to kind of give it a facelift. And, and it's got these beautiful glass windows um, we, we get a lot of natural sunlight, but the way that the way it's set up is worship can happen in two different orientations. Right. And there's one orientation that really limits the number of chairs, but what's special is it, we can do it and, and we, and, and we have a bigger capacity, right. or it feels like we have a larger capacity. Right. And so once, and we're pretty close to, to having to shift everything, but once we shift it, it kind of gives us a stage two of opportunity to grow into and we signed a three-year lease with an optional two years so we we're we're, we're, we're kind of going to be it's going to be our home for at least three years if not more now what are your plans moving forward as we come out of the pandemic here and put it in our rearview mirror like <clears throat> what's your mindset okay you've taken a hit i mean many churches have yeah. have experienced the same thing i'm sure people listening go yep that sounds like my situation but as you look forward, how do you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and go, okay, we're going to, we're going to keep on growing here. We're going to keep moving forward. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really grateful you're interviewing me now and not four months ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, four or five months ago, I, would, I, would, I was on a mountaintop, especially from the conference, but I was like, okay, but now what? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, this is going to be kind of me just sharing a little bit of good news over the last couple of months. Um, we, we have a, a young man, his name's Will Kenny. He's our, our campus intern. He, he gets paid pennies on the dollar. Uh, he, he works, he works about 30, 35 hours a week at his job. And then uh, we give him a small stipend uh, at the beginning of the semester. Um, he, he, he had a deep conviction that he's like, Hey, we're going to stop letting COVID be an excuse. We're going to stop saying, okay, once COVID's over or mm -hmm. once race relations um, eases or, or once uh, the, the economy kind of settles, think things will be easier. He said, we're, we're going to stop waiting and we're just going to go be faithful. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that was his charge. He, he gave that charge at a campus planning meeting. And I remember my wife and I were like, man, I needed to hear that. And uh, the, his, his name's Will. And, um, ever since then, Rob, God's just, just been blessing our church. Um, at, at one point in the middle of the semester, um, we, we were down, I think we were at 25 members at the time. Um, our church of 25 members was studying the Bible with 26 people. Oh my gosh. And, um, and, and, and it was totally God, right? We, we had a, uh, an amazing couple from an independent Christian church find us online and, and they started uh, coming out and, and quickly integrated themselves into our family and, 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 and started to get connected. Uh, we had another young guy. Um, hopefully he's going to get baptized here soon. Um, he, he, he wanted more relationships. He didn't have deep relationships at his church. So he's going to only start coming to our church on Wednesday nights. Uh, but he came one Wednesday, I think. And then he started coming every Sunday and every Wednesday and started studying the Bible. Um, we had another guy, he is a physical therapy student. Uh, he reached out to us and said, Hey, I'm looking for a discipling relationship. And we said, okay, well, let's study the Bible first. And he, and he just got baptized uh, a month ago. And 
And, and so we got God's, God's grown us. We're back up to 29. Uh, we're knocking on that, that 30 number. Uh, we've got a couple people that hopefully in the next week or two are going to make the decision to make Jesus Lord and finally bust through 30 and, and start looking on to 40. But it was, it wasn't even me. It was, it was our, it was our campus intern. He said, let's just be faithful. Let, let's stop sitting around waiting for something to end. And I remember uh, somebody sharing me and I think they're, I can't remember who they're sharing about, but they, they're saying that, man, if they can just see the gospel change people's lives, the, the problems that, that are surrounding them in the church, it just seems the lesson. And, and I remember that I was like, it's so true. I just need to see the gospel change people. Mm-hmm. And not only do I need to see it, but other people in our church need to see it. Right. And, and so we, we have this goal of every single, and, and churches said it, uh, frequently, but we have a goal that every person in our church is in a Bible study. And we, when we set the goal, there's, there's 25 members, uh, at this point, 17 out of those 25 have been in a Bible study. And I think it's just been so beneficial because it just, rather than us focusing on problems and pointing the finger and, and kind of nasal gazing and, and thinking, what can we do better? Like, no, the Bible's alive. That's it's right. real. Like That's Jesus right. is here. Right. Like people need, need the gospel. Uh, social programs are great, but, but the gospel is greater. That's right. And so it's, it's been a special season the last couple of months. Do you think and, people are, um, do you think people yeah. are more open after, after COVID is finishing up? You're not the first person that's mentioned that there's been a, a change in the air. What do you, what are your thoughts? I, I think so. Um, do you think, I, it, I think was it the faithfulness of, of that, that guy will, or is it just people are, are thinking more deeply spiritually after COVID? Um, I think it's, it's probably multifaceted. I think God pruned his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I definitely mean he, he absolutely pruned our fellowship of churches, right? It's, a lot of us have a lot of scars from the last last couple of years, right? Um, but he's pruned his kingdom mm-hmm. worldwide, and we know that when he prunes us, we're going to bear more fruit. And so, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always skeptical, right? To to kind of gauge the landscape, because um, I don't know if that's my job, right? I, I think it's my job just to be faithful and. God prunes us in the name, man. Right. Um, it can help to have that mindset, <laughs> even yeah. as you get out there thinking that people are more open. But I, I definitely wonder if people are, they've had more time to think about their lives for sure. Yeah. What? Why would someone, you know, you think about your mission team, it's it's tough. I, even as you share the, the planting and, you know, people walking away, getting sued. I just go, yep, that sounds like a mission team to me. I mean, I've, in the book that I wrote about how to plant a church, I, it is like the opening scene from that movie, uh, Saving Private Ryan, the, the beach the beach landing at, on Normandy. Mm. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, it's awesome. You know, you see a baptism, but then you'll, you'll think, oh, this person's going to become a Christian. Then they just walk away and just break your heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's intense. Why should someone consider either going on a mission team or leading a mission team? Yeah. Um, I say it's love. And I mean, um, we, we have friends that are in a couple stages of life ahead of us and they're going through some hard things with their, their teenagers. Right. And, um, and you can look at it and be like, okay, but why have kids? Right. And that's such a silly question, right? right? It's love. Like right. we, we just had our first child and, and he makes my life so much richer. He <laughs> makes my life way more difficult. Right? Uh-huh, right. But, but he makes my life so much richer and the th- same things with marriage, mm-hmm. Like No, marriage isn't easy. Ma- marriage is hard, but it is amazing. Yeah. And uh, I think the same thing about, serving God in his kingdom. I, I have learned to love Rob in such a deeper way. 
And, and it means my heart gets broken and I, I cry way more now than I ever have. But my life is so much richer. And the, the people that I've suffered alongside, they're, they're not just my quote unquote brothers in Christ. Do I give them the right hand fellowship? They're my brothers. Like, right, right. like Will Kenny is my brother. Will Hoagland is my brother. Trey Robinson is my brother. Trey and I just grabbed dinner last night and he's going through some things. And, and I, I look at him like, man, that is my brother. And so, yeah, I think if, if we're afraid of pain, we'll just stop loving people. Don't get married. Don't have children live alone. Exactly. And you're good. Yeah. But if you want a rich life, go love deeply and fully and intensely. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts, but man, it is amazing yeah. at the same time. I think about when Paul wrote Timothy and he said, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Hmm. You know, keep keep a clear head in all situations. Don't be afraid of suffering. And it's really, it just strikes me because I think that Fear holds us back from pushing our limits. You know, totally. whether, whether we're going on a mission team, we've been in the ministry a year or 30 years, it's fear. Hmm. It's fear of picking up that cross again, of really demanding more from ourselves. And I hmm. think this is a time when we, we really had to go, okay, got it's self-crucifixion time. We got to really push yeah. it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Any advice for someone who wants to make this life count to live a no regrets life. Yeah. I, I, two things. I think one, the thing that you just said is gold. And I read a book recently by Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike, uh, once called, uh, the blue shoe ribbon company and, and sold tiger shoes. But, um, what, what he said a couple times in the book is he wasn't, he wasn't afraid of failure. He wanted to fail fast mm-hmm. because if he could fail fast, he could learn fast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that is such a biblical concept. Yeah. Because it's all it is is humility. That's right. And I think that's why my wife and I we thrive. We we love doing what we do, is we're not afraid to fail fast. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, if if we want to live a life of no regrets and a life that counts, I think we've got to be willing to fail fast. Yeah. And and instead of being afraid of failure, embrace it as an opportunity to grow. And I think the second thing, and I've, I've learned this the hard way, and it's a huge part of my sinful nature, is that if I want to live a life of no regret, I have to care way more about faithfulness mm-hmm. and being faithful than being successful. Right. If my goal is successful, man, the ministry is not for me. Right. Because I can't control the number of butts and seats, right. our budget. Right. Our building, right. our baptism. I mean, I could if I wanted to manipulate things and, right. and go against God, but I have to care more about being faithful. Right. And if I can care more about being faithful, all the, the secondary um, indicators, mm-hmm. right? Good indicators, but secondary indicators, they, they don't they don't hurt me as much. I, I don't get too high. I don't get too low. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think when I was thinking about your podcast and the goal, those are the two things that, that I wanted to, to offer that I think God's helped me a lot with is one caring. I want to be faithful, not successful. And I think John 15 speaks to that a lot. I think Jeremiah, the, the life of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and um, Isaiah speaks a lot to that. Uh, Paul too. Uh, but, but then man, I, I want to fail fast. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to make mistakes. That's why I need the grace of God, even when it comes to sin, but I want to fail fast. Right. I want, I want to fall. I want to learn quick and I want to do better the next time. Right. And so yeah, I think those two things. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's great. I think that's, that's one thing I love about the ministry is it really, it really reveals yourself, gives you an opportunity to grow and test yourself but I think the whole thing about being faithful more than successful, boy, that's a tough lesson. I mean, for an achiever, someone who wants to make this life count, you go, I want to be successful. I want to be successful. And it's it's tough because there's nothing more challenging than the ministry. And I mean, there's period. I Any career, it this just totally is more challenging, more demanding, because it, it just involves mm. so much more. It, it's like you have to be so good at so many different things. 
You've got to be a good speaker. You've got to be a good persuader. You've got to be a caring person. You've got to be, you know, manage that the budget. You've got to just do so many different things. And it's it's your whole life. I mean, you've got to have a passion for it, but you've got to love doing it. And I think one of the most gratifying things is how it forces you to grow and really confront mm-hmm. your own weaknesses and and cause you to repent and you know, and I think that's that's a great, great lesson. But it's a tough lesson. It's a it's a lesson that's you have to keep learning over and over again. Right. Yeah. So I, I think one thing about the small churches and small church plantings that I love is it it drives home the point of how valuable one soul is. You know, mm-hmm. when you see a single baptism in a small church, you're so fired up. Mm-hmm. I, I was baptized in a large church and I'd see baptisms all the time. Like, Yay, you know, exciting. But then when you're on a mission team and you see a baptism, you realize how much goes into each soul saved, and you're just all the, all the guts. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's all you're right. It's all guts. You're all by yourself, but it's awesome. So, uh, Jimmy, so it's so great to to talk to you and 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 get to know you a little bit. All the best to you. Anything that that the listeners that we can pray for you about, or anything you need, you're still looking for for team members there in in Bowling Green. Yeah, I, I, we, we'd love to see the church at uh, 40 members by the end of the year. And so if the listeners can, can pray for that. And um, we, I adopted this from Tom McGurk. Um, we, we set a goal three years ago after our first year, or I guess two years ago, whatever it was, to see 17 baptisms. We, we saw 11 kind of those first 14 months. We wanted to see 17. COVID came, didn't happen. But we're trying to be the persistent widow. And we're, we're just going to pray that every year until God hits it. And so those two things would, would be amazing. Okay. If, so to uh, get to 40, you want to, and you want to see 17 baptisms this year, this year. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. That's a great, great goal. I'll be praying for you about that. Thanks, thank you. Rob. Thank you so much for your time and all the best to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.